The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Let's go ahead and look to our subject of the day as we continue in a series this summer on what the Bible says about various topics. And today it's what the Bible has to say about modesty and dress. And uh, there's a lot of things I could say about this by way of introduction. I guess I'd start with this first question. Is, as you're getting ready for church this morning and primping yourself for a lack thereof and getting dressed and getting ready to come to church, did it cross your mind at all that you are getting dressed, preparing yourself to come and worship Almighty God of the universe and your blessed Savior in the corporate context with the beloved saints? In other words, did how you prepare yourself today, was that influenced by what you were going to do? One of the highest and holiest callings we have is to corporately worship the God of the universe, a holy God. And if you know him personally, your blessed Savior, did that have any impact at all on how you prepared yourself from your mindset, your conversation with family, what you saw on television, listened to on the radio, if at all, how you drove, what you ate, what time you got up, what time you went to bed, thinking about the Lord's Day, and even in the mix, how you dress and what you wear. So it's, it's all of life, really. And what you wear is just one component of that. Some people look at this, I would imagine, and say, what the Bible says about modesty and dress. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Come on, I want the sovereignty of God and the five points of Calvinism. Pastor, why are you preaching on this topic? Well, because the Apostle Paul did. It's in the New Testament more than two times. And the Apostle Paul made it clear that the church and God's Uh, shepherds of the church need to preach and teach the full counsel of God. So if you're of the mindset that uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3 aren't as important as Romans chapter 6, then you're wrong. Uh, That's one reason why I'm preaching on this. Another reason I'm preaching on this is because in the five churches I've served as a leader, pastor, elder in 20 plus years, this subject of dress has come up in every single church from a leadership level. In other words, There were sheep squabbling about the issue. They didn't agree. There were differences of opinion. There was a component, an element of subjectivity uh, that they couldn't bridge the gap on. They had different convictions and uh, a different conscience that was informed by different information and experiences that they had. So they came to different conclusions about what was appropriate dress among Christians, not just in the church, but in everyday life wherever they go. And it led to, because of a lack of information and biblical parameters, and a godly attitude, it led to conflict. I've seen that in all five churches I've been a part of. I've seen it in this church to different degrees. So practically speaking, as a shepherd, it's something that we behind the scenes as pastors, elders, shepherds have to deal with. It's come up as a topic of conversation several times in five years since I've been at this church. And as time goes by, it became very apparent to me, we've we got to talk about this. We have got to, in some context, whether it's Bible study preaching a sermon, we have got to see what the Bible has to say about this issue because it will lend itself to helping the saints live in unity with one another. Because you've got to know the truth. Your, your conscience has to be informed properly. Even on this issue that some people say, well, that's not very spiritual or it's kind of subjective. Well, it's in the Bible. So we're going to talk about it from God's point of view as clearly as we possibly can. And uh, again, we're not going to be exhaustive in everything. There will probably be a whole bunch of questions I don't answer. That's actually good. If you go away from a sermon with a whole bunch of questions, that means you were listening, you were thinking, and hopefully it's the Spirit of God prompting you to do further study, prayer, conversation, and interaction to grow even more to a biblical understanding. So I came up with eight points just to kind of, again, just draw parameters around this topic not going to answer every question, so let's go ahead and look at it, what the Bible has to say about modesty and dress. And here's further follow-up corollary questions to the first one I asked. Should women wear pants to church? I've served in five different churches, and some of those churches would answer that differently than others. Should anyone uh, wear shorts to church ever? All you California, all you casual California people? Some churches I've been to have said absolutely not. Is wearing a tie more spiritual than not wearing a tie? Well, of course it is. That's a no-brainer. I don't know why people fight about that issue. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. 
But that's actually come up at times. Especially, I mean, I was at a church. I was at a church where if you were ever preaching, you had to wear a tie. That was just the rule. Actually, a jacket and a tie. Um, should men wear sandals to church? I mean, how carnal is that? Wearing sandals to church? Some people would say, I, I don't say that because I, I think, I bet you Jesus wore sandals. Just a hunch. Um, should the preacher preach in a Hawaiian shirt? That was a big deal back in the 90s. That was like the new, cool, couth, hip, heavy, related thing to do. Preach in a Hawaiian shirt. Because if you preach in a tie, you're ostracizing unbelievers. I'm thinking, that, that, I mean, I was told that at a church I work, and I was thinking, that doesn't even make sense to me. You, you ostracize unbelievers if you wear a tie? I mean, watch ESPN, and every dude there wears a tie and a jacket. Terry Bradshaw, all those guys. And those are big pagan football players. I don't think a tie is really the issue. That is a superficial view. David Letterman, he's a pagan. He wears a tie and a suit every night. Very expensive one. And your news anchor every single night, CNN, they all wear jackets and ties. That's, again, not the issue. Um, so anyway, those are just, those are real life situations that I've actually had to contend with, be involved in, help sort out, or had to deal with it in one way or another over the years. People, Christians really fight about these things. So what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible addresses it. Let's go to the first of the eight points. And that is that, number one, God cares about how we dress. He really does. He cares. God cares about how we dress. I put Genesis 3.21 there because when God created Adam and Eve and they were without sin, they were naked and unashamed and pure before God. And then when they sinned, uh, they, were, they recognized their own nakedness and with it came shame in terms of it being exposed. And so they tried to hide themselves and then they did it with fig leaves, and then God said, those aren't sufficient, your fig leaves, for a lot of reasons. Here, let me, give you, let me make you garments of skin. So, pretty clear, God probably killed an animal in the process of making clothes for them, shed blood as sinners, and then God covered them with those animal skins. And ever since then, it has been God's will and desire that fallen sinful human beings wear clothing to hide their shame, especially in public, ever since then. And uh, so God was the one... And the first one to give human beings clothes. I want you to look at Deuteronomy uh, 22:5. Now, in the in the Mosaic law, God did give a lot of commands regarding dress and your clothing. Some of which I would believe we're not bound by those today, because it was part of the covenant with the nation of Israel. And now we're under the covenant with Jesus Christ in the New Covenant. So some of those don't apply today. I want to look at Deuteronomy 22.5, but one of the commands that God gave the people of Israel was He said, don't, don't mix your garments. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.11 says, You shall not wear a material mixed of wool and linen together. So, you know, it's like it can't be 50% polyester and 50% cotton. It needs to be 100% polyester and 100% cotton, but don't mix the two. That's what God said. That's what God required. Why did God say that? I have no idea. Other than sometimes there's an explanatory inspired commentary with those kind of commands saying that God wanted to separate his people from the pagans and identify them clearly all the way from what they ate to the way they behaved to how they worshiped to the clothes that they wear. And even how they cut their hair. God was trying to make a distinction of God's people Israel from the pagans. To highlight them. To accentuate their difference. They were called out separated holy people. And so sometimes clothing was one manifestation of creating a visible separateness among God's people. Then there's another one in Deuteronomy 22. Look at verse 5. A woman shall not wear man's clothing. This is called cross-dressing. This is normative. This is condoned in San Francisco and the Bay Area of California. This is sometimes even paid for by taxpayers' money. Cross-dressing and things related to it. Transvested, all that other stuff. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. There it is. Now, the issue here is that God wants to keep a distinction. This is the main point. God wants to keep a clear distinction between men and women. God created two genders, that's it. Adam and Eve, man and woman. 
Today, the American government and even the federal education system, even the state education system, is trying to tell us there are actually, maybe you didn't know this, there are at least six different genders. I don't know if you knew that. Six. Six identifiable formal genders. And No, there's only two. It's male and female. That's it. So sinners have always been trying to blur the lines of making a distinction between masculinity and femininity, men and women. And one of the ways that uh, the world does that is by blurring those lines of clarity and distinction between identifying a man and a woman. As a matter of fact, I was looking through a, a magazine. Actually, it was a journal this week, and it wasn't like a pagan journal or anything. And then I turned to a page, and there's a picture, and it, I thought it was a woman. And I thought, wow, she looks kind of funny. And then I read the article. It was a guy. And I thought, wow, he really looks funny. And I honestly couldn't tell if this was a man or a woman. And uh, it was the long hair and even the facial features. Uh, and it was by a professed believer, and I just thought, wow, how appropriate that I'd see this this week in light of what I'm talking about. But one of the main points was God was trying to make a clear distinction between men and women. Those are the only two options. You were born that way. It's in your DNA. You can't change it. That's the way God made you by design. So God cares about how we dress. Uh, two nest, two net New Testament examples of the fact that God cares about how we dress. Uh, just go ahead. Let's keep go to 1 Timothy 2 and then keep your finger in 1 Peter 3. I know this is a profound point. Point number one, God cares about how we dress. That is profound. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? Uh, the reason I wanted to say it that way, I just wanted to start at ground zero, lay a foundation that is very clear. God does care about what we wear. Because I was at a, one church that I served in, and we were having a staff meeting among the pastors, and one of the pastors said that God doesn't care about how we dress. And, quote, there's no dress code in the Bible. I didn't say anything at the time, but immediately I thought of 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3. Well, if that's not a dress code, I don't know what is. There is a dress code in the Bible. It's not extensive or exhaustive, but it's a generic one, and God means it and expects it. So let's go ahead and look at these two dress codes that God gives in the Bible. By the way, uh, Paul, in 1 Timothy 2 is the first one. He's talking about roles of men and women. And by the way, the, the important thing is in the church, how men and women interact, interface, show up in the church, the corporate assembly. Okay, that's the context. This is not how you behave at home behind closed doors. This is how you dress in public with God's people and how you conduct yourself. Roles of men and women, they need to be different. Uh, the men of God are supposed to lead the church. They are supposed to lift up they are supposed to pray on behalf of the church and be the shepherds, the elders uh, doing the preaching among other things. Women have a very important role in the church as well in many respects. And they're also supposed to conduct themselves in a certain way in the church. So let's start actually at 1 Timothy 2, 8 and following. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. The men, as opposed to the women, without wrath and dissension. They need to get along as they lead the church. Verse 9, likewise, just like men have significant roles in the church, women have significant roles in the church that impact the church and impact everybody. What is that? Well, it has to do with their character and how they conduct themselves in every conceivable manner, including what they wear. Likewise, just like the men are supposed to live in a holy manner, in a modest manner in terms of their behavior, likewise, also women. Likewise, I want women. He says, I, the Apostle Paul, this is not Paul's personal opinion. This isn't Paul looking down on women, giving them higher guidelines and standards than men because he could never get a date because he was single and girls didn't like him. And he's getting back at him. This, has, this is not Paul's opinion. This is the Apostle Paul speaking authoritatively, moved by the Spirit of God, declaring a decree from God because Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ because that's what 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says. He is laying down a divine decree for the church that is universally binding. So that's important to keep in mind. And it's in the corporate assembly, especially of the church. Likewise, I want the women in the church... And these are believing women. These are women who profess to know Jesus Christ personally. Another important distinction. Because there are times where we have unbelievers come and visit us. They don't know Jesus. They don't know Bible. They don't have a Christian world view. And they will dress accordingly sometimes. This is for believing women. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves. Cosmion or uh, cosmios or to be orderly. To order themselves. I want women to order themselves to take care in arranging what they wear, to be careful, thinking ahead, planning ahead, systematic. That's the word. 
Isn't that interesting? I want them to be orderly. To arrange and to put in order. Cosmios. It is deliberate. There's an order to it. There's a reason for it. There is care invested in doing it. I want women to adorn themselves with proper... Now, there's Cosmion again. It's used two times. Proper clothing. Proper clothing. So, there's the dress code. There's a certain level of decorum at a minimum level that the women of God, when they come to the public assembly, need to maintain and have. And then what's the hard question? It's, well, what is it? What specifically is it? That's the hard part. That's the subjective part. There are some objective adjectives he gives us to kind of help us. So let's go ahead and look at those. Well, how do women need to dress appropriately in the church? Paul? Dress modestly um, is one. So that's the first one. So the first thing, ladies, when you're thinking about dress, going to church or being with the saints, the first thing that should come across your mind is, am I dressing in a modest way? that honors God and edifies the people of God. Modestly. Uh, he goes on. Uh, this is the New American Standard. It says, modestly and discreetly. Some translations say, with sobriety. Another translation says, with self-control. So you've got three different ways to define this Greek word. With sobriety, with discretion, with self-control. Controlling yourself, controlling your emotions controlling your thought life, being very deliberate in how you dress when you go and meet with God's people. That's what he's saying. It is a command. This is not an option. So it is modesty and discretion. By the way, uh, these three words, modestly, uh, discreetly, or decency, propriety, or sobriety, they all have a common theme, and that is dress simply, with simplicity, moderately, judiciously and not ostentatiously. Or in other words, bottom line is, why are you wearing what you're wearing? And what is your goal and what is your motive? Are you trying to draw attention to yourself? That's probably the, the number one wrong motive. When you're going to church to be with God's people in the corporate assembly, first and foremost, it's not what do other people think. It is what does God, my blessed Savior, think? How can I most honor Him? And that's what we have to continually be thinking in our mind. And that's how you have to address this issue, particularly for a woman. Uh, Peter addresses this issue as well. Interestingly enough, Paul and Peter don't say these kind of things to men because apparently in Paul and Peter's day that the men didn't have as much of a problem with what they wore. It wasn't much of a, as, as much of a stumbling block for whatever reason. Uh, we do know from history that to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, and you had these uh, weird religious cults in Ephesus. They were dominated by P uh, Greek pagan culture and temple prostitutes uh, were known and it was very common that they would try to be showy. They try to, of course, attract attention to themselves like we have here in America. Same thing. And they do that by the clothes that they wear. They like to flaunt it. They like to glitter. They even put things in their hair to uh, bring attention to themselves, whether it was gold, silver, and, and pearls. And the whole idea was, hey, look at me! Selling themselves. That was the whole point. That's why he even addresses the hair. Don't look like the temple tramp, literally is what he's saying. Don't do that. You need to be separated. Now that God has saved you and changed you and made you a new creature, all things have changed when you become a Christian, and that even includes the way you dress, or at least the motive of why you dress the way that you do. So God cares about how we dress, and women in particular, he says, need to dress modestly. Now the men need to do it. The men are rebuked because they need to live modestly in other areas of their life and how they act in their tongue, their words, their language, those kind of things. So they're challenged in their area of weakness, and women are challenged in their area of weakness or vulnerability as godly women. So I'll just ask you, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, is this a practice, and you're a woman of God who routinely comes to GBF, is this a discipline, is this one of the spiritual disciplines of your life? How can I honor God by what I wear and when I am going to be with God's people? Because it matters and God cares, because He said so. Uh, he goes on, likewise, I want the women of God to endure themselves carefully, preparing, specifically doing it with proper clothing, modestly or with modesty and discreetly, not with braided hair. Does this mean you can't wear a braid in your hair? I think I saw somebody this morning, a lady this morning with braids in her hair. This doesn't mean you can't ever wear braids in your hair. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a very specific context in the days 
of Ephesus, the whole idea of drawing attention to yourself. With braided hair, gold or pearls, let's see, they put all their expensive things in their, in their hair to make it glitterly, to glittery. Gold, pearls, or, and also expensive, costly garments. See that? And the whole idea is you're, spending, you're investing all this money in these overly gaudy, ostentious uh, clothes that just scream out, Look at me! That's his point. It's not about you. It's not about me. We need to be selfless even in the way we dress. Does this mean that Christians cannot uh, wear nice clothes from Nordstrom's? You have to shop at the thrift store or at Walmart? No. That is not what this is saying. And we're going to talk about that later. So uh, now let's look at 1 Peter 3, where again the dress code is brought up by Peter to the church universal Again, and it's in the context of corporate worship and it is in the context of making a distinction between men and women. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word, but rather be one by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior and let not your adornment or your attraction be merely external. Boy, Ladies, don't spend so much time all the time worrying about your waistline, what you look like, what this dress looks like, what your pumps look like, and your high heels and your shoes and your rings and your bracelets and all that other stuff and what everybody else thinks trying to impress them. That's his point. It's the same point Paul was making. Beauty is not on the outside, not from a Christian point of view. Braid, you know, being caught up with braiding the hair and wearing golden jewelry or putting on dresses. Paul said expensive dresses. Rather, let your focus and your priority be And concentrate on not the external, but on the internal, what really matters before God. Verse 4, but let it be, let your adornment be, let your care and concerns be, as a woman of God, the hidden person of the heart. That's it. That's what God cares about most. That's what really matters. That's what Proverbs 31 said, right? The, The beautiful woman, beauty is transitory. It passes away. Like Cher in the 70s. She was supposed to be this beauty queen and boy, wait till she's 70. That superficial beauty passes away. It dies, withers away. If you're a believer, you know God. The beauty of the heart grows the longer you know Christ. Or it should. So it's inner beauty that he's getting at. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle... And what is really precious, beautiful, attractive to God? What is beautiful, precious, and attractive to men, to godly men, especially... It's not what you are on the outside. It's your heart. A godly woman who's typified by the quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. If you are a Christian woman, a Christian young lady, your goal in life, and you should probably write it down somewhere on the mirror or in your, wherever you keep it, on a card, in your purse, or whatever, this should be the goal of your life to ask God to help you to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. And that goes against the nature of our sin nature goes against the nature many times of our personality. But this is what pleases God. Not only does it please God, verse 4 says, this is precious in the sight of God. It is precious. A godly, virtuous, submissive, faithful, optimistic heart and spirit before Almighty God and those you're around. That's beautiful. That's lovely. And that's what God says we need to concentrate on. So God cares about how we dress. Let's go on to number two. Believers need to avoid the extremes. See, this is the extremes. It's hard to avoid because we have different experiences, different education, different backgrounds, different, differently informed consciences. There's an element of subjectivity, by the way, in what you wear. What is a modest dress, by the way? I, I, I don't know. That's, it depends. Let me see the dress, I guess. Right? How high should it be? How low should it be? How low should the neckline be? Should How much of the arm should be covered? You know, if we were living 150 years ago, every woman in here would have a dress all the way down to her wrist. Oh, I saw part of your wrist. How dare you? I saw your ankle. I saw your Adam's apple. Anything exposed beyond that in public worship was considered immodest. Now look where we are today. So there is an element of subjectivity where it's relative. And we're going to get to that when it comes to context. So... Point number two, believers need to avoid the extremes. We need to avoid legalism, which is point A. And we need to avoid the flip side, which is being permissiveness. Look at Colossians 2 real quick. This is where Paul gives a warning to Christians about don't be legalistic. 
Christian, don't be legalistic and don't let legalists impose their will on you in certain areas. That's the context of Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink. See, these are the mundane things of life. You know, clothing can go right in here as well. Gray areas at times, food or drink, liberties, freedoms we have in Christ. Don't let anybody be your judge in respect to a festival, a new moon, Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. What you wear really is a mere shadow of what is to come, isn't it? It's not the most important thing in the world, but it's important. Really, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, uh, taking his stand on visions that he's seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've died to the elementary principles of the world, then why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, man-made decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do not do this, do not do that. That's what a legalist does. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. It's mostly negative. And Paul says Christians shouldn't be living that way. With legalism. All you have is just a whole bunch of list of things your kids shouldn't do. That will frustrate your children. Where's the freedoms in Christ that go along with that? That's the balance. I remember I was reading a Christian journal that I sub, uh, subscribed to probably 15 plus years ago. And I liked the author, but he had an article one time uh, saying Christian behavior, biblical behavior for boys or something like that. Biblical. He was saying this was Christian and biblical. And one of the things that he said is they shouldn't put their elbows on the table at dinner. I'm thinking, well, obviously you've never eaten with Jesus because he was laying down on the floor on a pillow. And then... and you should never have allow a man to wear a hat inside the house at the dinner table. And he didn't have a Bible verse for it. So I actually wrote him a letter and said, That's, you're violating Colossians 2, and not wearing a hat isn't in the Bible. So I had an interesting dialogue with him. Actually, he wrote back, he thought it was very helpful that I said that. And he says, you're right. This is a preference I had, a cultural thing, and it's not in the Bible. Thank you for letting me know. So... But that's just one example of, of legalism. You can't wear a hat at the dinner table. Well, it's not in the Bible. And we're going to see later also in Romans that there are times where you should do it out of courtesy. And that's the principle of context. If you're at a place where the authority who's hosting the dinner would like you to remove your hat or your shoes, then you should do that out of deference and respect. But you're doing it for a different reason. Out of respect for authority or deference to somebody else. Uh, but so but legalism can be a tricky thing, and we all struggle with legalism. I bet in some area of our life, and it all has to do with having a properly informed conscience based on biblical truth. Um, so avoid legalism. But at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, you got legalists over here on, on how you dress, and then you, like I said, there are legalist Christians who say Christians, Christian women should never wear pants publicly or at church. I just don't think that's in the Bible. But if they want to hold to that conviction and live by it, then they should be allowed to do that and have the freedom to do that. But can't foist that standard on everybody else. So that's legalism. And on the other end is permissiveness. Too much liberty. And that's, let's look at 1 Peter 2. So Christian, just because you have liberty in Christ, don't take advantage of your liberty. Don't abuse your liberty. Don't abuse your liberty, especially at the risk of offending some other weaker Christian or a Christian that has different convictions and you're flaunting your freedom in their face, that's not an act of love. So that's why Peter warns us. What are our freedoms? Let's use them the right way. First Peter 2.16, be a good steward of your freedoms you have in Christ. Act as free men or free people because Christ has set you free. And do, but do not use your freedom as a Christian or liberty as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. And then even Paul says in Romans 14, don't use your freedom in a way that might cause others to stumble or you might offend them needlessly. Don't do that. So we need to be conscious of what other people believe and where they're sensitive, whether it's in the area of music or the area of dress or entertainment. That's a hard one, huh? Some Christians say uh, that other Christians should never see a movie or they should never see a PG-13 movie or Christians should never see a rated R movie or and on and on it goes. And then you've got Christians debating about that. Christians debating about movies is futile because you never agree if you've got a group of Christians debating about it. What's acceptable and what's not. 
So Romans 14, Paul says, be convinced in your own mind before God and you have to give account to Him ultimately. And at the same time, do not offend other believers when you know what their convictions are. If you can refrain from doing so out of an act of love to your fellow brother. So don't be a legalist and don't be overly permissive. Be conscious before God. Regarding your liberty, uh, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6.12, he talks about gray areas where you have freedom in Christ and not everything is illegal or sinful. But just because it's not sinful doesn't mean I always have to do it or do it to a degree that offends somebody else. I need to do all things in moderation. So again, the moderation principle is something that you should add to your wardrobe when you meet with the saints publicly. Moderation. Uh, And then finally, point C in this, we shouldn't be legalists, we shouldn't be libertarians that offend people, but see there needs to be a balance. So look at 1 Timothy 4.8. The reason I wanted to read this verse, 1 Timothy 4.8, is Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 7, have nothing to do with worldly fables, things that aren't true, Fit only for older women or old women. That's kind of an interesting comment. I won't even say anything about that. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Be a disciplined person. Be a disciplined Christian. So the question is, be disciplined how? In what areas? What I eat, what I wear? The answer is Paul saying yes, but there's an order of priority. Be disciplined in your life. And he says, there is benefit to being disciplined in your physical life, your exercise, how you sleep, what you eat, taking care of your body. Bodily discipline is of little profit. Actually, some translations say of some profit. How you eat, how you take care of yourself. So don't put the emphasis too much on the the spiritual to the point of neglecting your body as the temple of the Spirit of God. You're a steward of your body. You're a steward of your clothes. So taking care of those things is being a good steward. That's why this is kind of the balance to when Paul said, don't be caught up in expensive dresses. That doesn't mean dress like a slob. He's not saying that. That this physical discipline and care is of some profit. There's some value to it. But there's a priority. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life. Put your emphasis on the disciplines in your spiritual life, the inner heart, cultivating godliness in mind and attitude, words and deeds, and your thought life. So there needs to be balance. So God cares about what we wear and how we dress. Believers need to avoid the extremes of legalism and permissiveness. And then context matters. Let's go there. Number three, context matters. In 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3, I already said, Paul is talking about the corporate assembly as we gather together with the saints to worship God, have the ordinances. There's a dress code. That is expected. That is not the same dress code you have at the beach with your family or at home in the swimming pool in your backyard. So context matters. You dress according to the occasion. You dress according to the authority that is established in that context or venue. Context matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to read it because that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. It says there is an appointed time for everything. The context matters of where you're at and what you're doing. I had a friend when I was in college, a good friend, sweet girl, relatively new Christian. She wore a hat wherever she went. In class, in the cafeteria, to the pool, just had a hat on all the time. Finally asked her, so, wow, you, you have a lot of hats. I've, this is 26 I've counted. They're really nice. And I was just curious, why do you wear hats all the time? She says, well, it's in the Bible. Really? Where? First Corinthians 11. Oh, wow. I've read first. It doesn't say hats in there. It says, well, women are to keep their head covered all the time. So I wear a hat all the time. It's like, wow, okay. So she didn't understand the context. There was a context to 1 Corinthians 11. Women are supposed to have their heads covered, but it doesn't say with a nice hat from Nordstrom's. And um, it says the context is during prayer and while prophesying. So I asked her if she was a prophetess. She said she didn't know. And I said, well, that's the context. So she thought that was helpful. And I think six months later she wasn't wearing hats anymore. I don't know if I had anything to do with that. But So context matters. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is time for every event under the sun. Read through that, you'd be surprised what's in there, like a time to love and a time to hate, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to dress a certain way, a time not to dress a certain way. Context matters. That adds the balance. That helps us avoid the extremes of legalism and permissiveness. Number four, 
Simple principle, do not imitate the world. Do not imitate the world in any way, in any area of life. And this also uh, shows up in how we dress. I mean, just simply put, you come to church and you're out in public and you're a Christian, do you look like Britney Spears and Beyonce and all those other women? Or are you different? Are you set apart? That's the main point. Is your standard higher than the world's standard? How's that? Are you one of those conservatives? Well, I hope so. That's modesty and simplicity and discretion. Don't imitate the world. 1 John 2.15, let's look at it. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Wow, there's a challenge. Are you caught up on what's going on in the world and Hollywood scene and who's who and who's marrying who and who's dating who and who? Then you're caught up in the world. If anyone loves the world, things that the world says are important, money, fame, material possessions, etc., etc., the exterior, the externals, that's what he's talking about, the attitudes of the world, the priorities of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You've got to do a check. My believer, God, examine my heart for all that is in the world. Well, what is it? Three things. The lust of the flesh. See, it's all about you and your body and your bodily passions. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, what you see. Oh, I've got to have that, got to have that, want to look like that, want to look like that. And the boastful pride of life. What people think of me, what I will aspire to. That's what the world thinks about. That's what they tell you you should have. That's a worldly, godless mindset. Paul says, or John says, have nothing to do with it. You're a Christian. You're separated. You are different. This kind of stuff is not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Concentrate on what lasts forever. The inner heart. The character. Your attitude before God. Truth. That's what's precious and that's what matters. Do not love the world. James 4. I got it right there. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. And that even manifests itself in how you conduct your life, even in what you wear. Romans 12.12 says, Be a living sacrifice before God, a living, worshipful sacrifice everywhere you go, even in how you conduct and live your life. Do not be conformed to this world. Literally, do not be squeezed into the mold of this world, but rather be transformed. Metamorphosis. Don't be conformed by the external standards of this world that are shallow and superficial and passing away, but rather change from the inside out. Be transformed, metamorphosis, from the inside out. That's what God cares about, the inside. The Spirit of God who lives in you cares about the character and your attitude and truth. That's Romans 12. And you do it by the... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you might have to, we might have to change the way we think. Did you know that the way you dress is probably directly related to the way you think? Absolutely. Everything we do is related to the way we think. That's why Paul says you've got to keep washing your mind in the Word of God to change your thinking, to reinform your conscience. So don't imitate the world. Number five, don't be preoccupied with self. That's really what it's about, isn't it? Where is your heart? Why do you dress the way that you do? Why do you do what you do? Why do you spend the money the way that you do? Where is your heart? First Peter 3, 4, we already read this. Let the adorning or how you invest in yourself be the hidden person of the heart and not on the externals of dress. So examine your heart before God. B, ask, what will other believers think? What will other believers at the church think as I'm getting dressed? How will this impact them if you're a woman? How will this impact other men if you're married? How will this impact my husband? And also, how will it impact other men who aren't my husband? Important question to ask in your mind. So how will it impact others? How will it, how will it impact other women if you're a woman? It's not just guys you've got to worry about. It's the women as well. Romans 14.1 says, as you think about these things, don't quarrel over these things. Don't fight about these things because Christians are going to butt heads because they have different standards of what's appropriate dress or not. I've seen it. I've seen it for 20 years. Well-meaning Christians with an informed conscience coming from two different perspectives and they clash and they don't get along and they fight and it's got to be resolved from a biblical point of view in unity in the truth. Be gracious towards one another. That's why the Bible says and commands, bear with one another. Christians, as you gather together, you know what that means? Tolerate one another. Put up with each other. Because we all have our idiosyncrasies, don't we? Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. 
What will others think? And then most importantly, ask, what does God think as you're getting dressed? What does God truly think? First Samuel 16:7. Samuel was supposed to pick a king, and he's looking at all the older brothers of David. Oh, I want that one, that one, that one. He's strong, he's dark, he's handsome, he's tough, he's rough. Passed over David because David was a scrawny little dude. God said, you missed it. You're looking at the exterior instead of what God cares about, and that's character and the heart. So this revelation from God, the Lord, Yahweh, sees not as a human being sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, doesn't he? We look on the outward appearance. We get caught up with that. But the Lord looks at the heart. And here's an issue. The, the reason this verse is related to the topic at hand is because what happens sometimes is you've got two different Christians or, or a Christian gets upset by what somebody else in the church is wearing. Usually, I'm just telling you this is reality after 20 years, usually it's one woman is upset by what some other woman is wearing. That's typically how it goes. I've seen it time and time again. And the woman that is offended, usually when they're coming to me, will say, such and such a woman is dressing immodestly and violating the Bible and being a stumbling block and dressing like a, a tramp and whatever else. And, th and then they start trying to interpret the motives of that other girl. And that's where this passage addresses that issue. Because this passage addresses the motive of why that person is dressing the way that they are. So sometimes I'll actually agree, yeah, their dress is controversial it's debatable it is suspect it uh, turns heads that you're right but i don't agree with you in your interpretation have you talked to that person no then how do you know that's their motive do you know anything about that person's history do you know when they got saved do you know how they grew up do you know what their influence was do they have a godly mother training them praying for them modeling for them when did they get saved? These are the questions you need to ask because you need to get to know that person because you need to care for that person because you need to love that fellow believer and as a result, you're going to do all this research and find out to help them, not condemn them. And that's why Paul and James and Peter all said, do not judge one another. And what he's talking about is illegitimately judging someone else's motives because only God knows the heart. That's First Samuel right here. First Samuel 16. God looks on the heart. So as a shepherd, I would be concerned about women in the church who are dressing immodestly, who are believers, especially members. They need to conform to the standard of 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, Proverbs 31. They need to dress in a modest, godly, discreet, God-honoring way. But if they grew up with a background not knowing that, not having learned that, not having seen it modeled, and they're a relatively new believer, then we have to be gracious and start where they are. Grab them by the hand and move them along slowly. This is part of discipleship. Let's show some grace and deference towards one another. That's how we're supposed to do it. Because maybe this person has a weakness in the area of dress that probably they're oblivious to. And I guarantee that every single one of us has a weak spot somewhere else in our life, don't we? And we need somebody to come along and grab us by the hand and help us grow in that area, whatever our weakness is, our vulnerability, our sin, right? Because we all have them. We all have weak spots, blind spots, lifelong sins, patterns of sin. So we, we do need to, we need to address the issue, but we need to be gracious and you can't start judging the motives. I don't know why she's dressing like that, but we need to help. First of all, does she understand what the Bible says? Secondly, does she have anybody in her life that's helping her, mentoring her, discipling her, helping her grow, guiding her kindly, speaking the truth in love, modeling it for her? Are you willing to do that? Because apparently you're so concerned about her because you keep talking about her behind her back. So sister in the Lord, maybe you should adopt her, pray for her, approach her in a godly manner. So that's how we need to do it. And I'm just speaking from experience and also what the Bible says. I've seen it happen the right way. So are we on number six? Number six, don't magnify the exterior. We already talked about that. First Peter 3.3, 3. your beauty should not come from outward adornments, but it's all about the heart. God cares about the heart. So as a result, number seven, focus on your heart. Focus on your heart. Here's the first way to start. Focusing on your heart and how you dress and in every area of life. It goes to your prayer life. You do Psalm 139. You pray that prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any sinful way in me. Expose unknown sins in my life. I am ignorant. I am naive. I am short-sighted. God, I need Your illumination. I need the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. You need to show me where I am weak, where I fall short. And many times, God will show you by bringing another believer into your life to point it out. And sometimes we don't like that, do we? 
We pray, God, show it to me. And a believer, he says, okay, I want that believer. You go show her and then, or show him. And then they show us and we don't want anything to do with it. Sometimes. Sometimes we welcome that. So this is where it needs to start. God, search me. Search my heart. Expose my shortcomings. Help me to be a godly, modest person in every area of my life, including how I dress. But God, I need your help. and I need the help of the saints. I need the help of the Bible. I need the help of the Holy Spirit who is my comforter and helper. Focus on the heart. Pray to God. Ask Him to search your heart. And then finally, number eight. Not only do we need God's help. Do you know that God helps us most by using other people to help us? That's how God helps us. God, please send help. And then we want a lightning bolt from heaven. God doesn't usually work that way. God, please help. He'll send other people along to help you. That's how He works. So in this area of life, we need help. We need help and accountability. We need help and accountability in every area of life. So if you want to be a, a man of God growing up, being a, a discreet man, a modest man, a judicious man, a balanced man of God, not being a legalist, not exploiting your liberties at the offense of others, you need help and accountability to do it. And you know where it needs to start? It needs to start in the home. That's Ephesians 6.4. That's why that verse is there. You want to be a woman of God who honors God, who dresses modestly, lives discreetly wherever she goes. Hopefully it started in your home with your mother because that was her job. And if you're a mother right now, that is your job number one. And you've got daughters, you've got sons. You need to be training them to live modestly, godly, discreetly in a way that pleases God. Always focusing on the heart and not being a legalist. It is the responsibility of parents first and foremost. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, that means parents, that means mom and dad. Do not provoke your children. Don't be a legalist to anger. But rather, teach them, educate them, model for them, bring them up from the time they're born till the time they're in college, out of the home and get married. Bring them up. It's a process throughout life. It takes years of investment. Bring them up how? In the discipline... That's actual corporal training, physical training, including how they dress. That's what that word means. Discipline, the physical and also the verbal instruction, their mind. You need to teach them the principles that go along with it. You need to teach them how to dress and you need to teach them the biblical principles of why they should dress that way. They complement one another. Discipline and instruction. It starts in the home. It starts with mom and dad. So literally, if you're a Christian, you've got kids and they've grown up, they're a reflection of your teaching skills and ability and your understanding of Scripture. How do they reflect you? How do they reflect your convictions? Have you done well? Have you been negligent? It's a great challenge, isn't it? Then you've got unique challenges if you didn't grow up in a Christian home or if you got saved later in life and your children haven't grown up under believing parents. But that's God's standard. It starts in the home. We need help and accountability. It starts with mom and dad. And then specifically in the church, this is God's model. Titus 2, 3 through 5, mature women need to help immature women. I'm not just going to say older women help younger women because sometimes an older woman could be a new believer and she doesn't know. And sometimes younger women, they have great maturity because they were raised up in a very godly home. So really the issue is maturity, spiritual maturity. So mature godly women need to help the the younger, immature, godly women, especially in this area. And that's why when somebody comes to me, and especially a woman, and tattletales about some other girl that's dressed inappropriately, and they want, you want me to go talk to her and tell me that her dress is too short? Are you crazy? I am not going to do that. That needs to be a woman. Preferably a friend, a family member. And if it bothers you so much, then you need to be in prayer. You need to pull her aside and you need to do it. Because apparently you've got a standard and a godly standard or a biblical standard and then you need to impart that standard to her. I am not going to do it. Now the boys, bring them on. And that's 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, just one verse. Mature men need to help immature men in every area of life. Discipling them, training them, teaching them to be men. I had to say that in the last couple of weeks. Act like men. Act like a man and not just to my sons. To another fellow Christian. Man, suck it up. Act like a man. Oh, that's offensive. Well, that, no, that's, I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 16. That's what Paul said. Men need to be men. Godly masculinity. That is not valued in our day or in our culture. Biblical manhood is what I'm talking about. And that's 2 Timothy 2 too. That the men of God in the church need to be about the business of training young boys, teenage boys, to be truly godly, courageous humble, serving, God-fearing men. 
in every area of their life. That's our responsibility. And then I just want to close with some further practical applications or questions maybe that you could add to your repertoire as you think about this issue of dress that, again, I said is, you know, there are difficult components to it because of the subjectivity of it. Um, but here's one helpful principle. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that says, abstain from every appearance of evil. So if you're going through your wardrobe of all your dresses and you put it on and you look in the mirror and you think, hmm, I'm not sure, okay, then don't. When in doubt, don't. Or when in doubt, get somebody who's, that you really respect who is godly to get their opinion. So that's the principle. When in doubt, don't. And then the other thing, in light of fulfilling uh, Titus 2 and also 2 Timothy 2, is get a second opinion from somebody who's older in the faith than you are and have them investigate your entire wardrobe uh, or whatever it is, that area in your life that maybe you're vulnerable or weak, and get their opinion. Get a balanced perspective. And that's also the book of Proverbs. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, especially if they are godly counselors, to help you, to help me live a balanced life so that we can honor God and please Him in every area of our life. Let's go ahead and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank You for our time together and God, I thank you that you address this issue in Scripture. Uh, You care about it. It makes a difference. It's really a manifestation of our heart and of our attitude and how we think, our view of you, our view of other people. I pray that you would help some of these Scriptures resonate in our mind today and all throughout the week and that you'd use the Spirit of God to bring illumination in a practical way that makes a difference in our life, our choice of dress, our choice of behavior really fulfilling 1 Corinthians 10.31, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, even how we dress, we do it all to the glory of God. We need your help. We commit our time to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit GBF sv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.